morning I'll be reading from Genesis 37, verses 1 to 17. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Jacob lived in the land where his father had lived as a stranger, in the land of Canaan. These are the records in the generations of Jacob. Joseph, when he was 17 years of age, was pasturing, pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his other sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a multicolored tunic. And his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers. And so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. Then Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, please listen to this dream which I have had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf stood up and also also remained standing, and behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. Then his brother said to him, Are you actually going to reign over us? Or are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he had yet another dream and informed his brothers of it and said, Behold, I have had yet another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. He also told it to his father as well as to his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have had? Am I and your mother and your brothers actually going to come to bow down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Then his brothers went to pasture their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are your brothers not pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send you to them. And he said to him, I will go. Then he said to him, Go now and see about the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flock, and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. A man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field, and the man asked him, What are you looking for? He said, I'm looking for my brothers. Please tell me where they are pasturing the flock. Then the man said, They have moved from here, for I heard them say, Let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Good morning, saints of God. Pastor Steve is away. The mice will play. On that note, we better pray. Holy Spirit, living breath of God, breathe new life today into our living souls. Father, cause the word to come alive in us today. Lord, let Jesus Christ help us in him, magnify him as Lord in our hearts today. We pray, Lord, that you would be blessed through each of us uh, as we receive the word 
And Lord, we pray that it would bear fruit in our lives to your glory today. In Jesus' name, amen. In a London newspaper in 1911, a crazy, determined explorer named Ernest Shackleton put out a recruitment ad in the classifieds. Here's how it read. Men wanted for a hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. Ladies, that's the kind of job your man wants to apply for. Shackleton got over 5,000 applications for that job. 5,000 guys applied for that job. Out of the 5,000, he chose 26 of those guys. 26 guys signed up for safe return doubtful. (laughs) Ernest Shackleton was a man whose name described his life. He earnestly pursued his crazy, adventurous plans to conquer one of the last frontiers on earth. He was an explorer and an achiever. And his plan was to cross the entire Antarctic continent on foot with the help of some dogs. And in 1914, just before World War I, he and his men boarded his ship called the Endurance. And they sailed almost 9,000 miles over the Atlantic Ocean toward their destination. Shackleton's family motto was, by endurance we conquer. But I'm sure if you know anything about him and the story of the endurance, I'm sure if you've seen the documentary that the, and, the, and the expedition that he and his men won on, you know that their expedition ended up way differently than they planned. It's become a story of triumph in the face of true hardship. Shackleton had a really advantageous personality trait, he, a quality that I've always admired in men. He, it was his ability to exercise control over his spirit in the face of really hard things. Proverbs twenty five twenty eight reminds us that like a city that is broken into and without a wall is a man without constraint or restraint or control over his spirit. If you can't control your emotions, you're going to have a tough time functioning when hard things come. Shackleton recognized this quality as well. At one point in his his diary, he wrote that he thanked the men for their steadiness and good morale that they had shown in these trying circumstances. My hero, Martin Lloyd-Jones, wrote along the same lines. He said, a man who can control himself will often beat a man who is very much better at the task and who has much greater strength simply because he is reliable and steady. I know many of you here today at some level have learned the value of emotional self-control or endurance or or steadiness or control over your spirit, even, even in, for example, in the home lives of your families. Parents, for example, who can control their emotions, parents who can exhibit godly steadiness, are safe. Parents like that are like a city with walls. There's security there. Or, or in a marriage, maybe. Uh, uh, spouses who just let their emotions fly are like a city with its walls broken down. There's danger, turmoil, disorder in that city. 
It's not safe there. Or kids who can actually learn to control their own spirit. They deal with setbacks constructively. They persevere and then they move on. A city like that can flourish. There's security there. In our passage this morning, we're going to see a young man who had control over his spirit. He was similar to Shackleton in the sense that he was reliable and steady. But he was drastically different than Shackleton in a more profound way than, than Shackleton could have ever dreamed. Joseph's endurance was founded on the rock of the for certain promise and revelation of his great God. His, his hope was firm. It wasn't wishful hope. Remember, God had promised Joseph's great-grandfather, Abraham, that through him, through his seed, Christ, that all the families of the earth would be blessed. Not only through personal atonement through the cross with the promise of the glory of God, but also there would be a collateral benefit to this plan of redemption unfolding throughout history, even up to today. And we're going to see that truth continue to unfold in Joseph's life, the life that has already been marked by hardship as he's faced the hatred of his own brothers as he's been given a position of authority by his dad. He's already facing backlash because he's exposed their unfaithfulness. And so now we're in our passage. I want to focus starting in verse 5 today in your Bibles, Genesis 37, 5. The text says that Joseph had a dream. And he told it to his brothers, so they hated him even more. As we get into the text here in verse 5, this particular passage, and and several more times in his life, Joseph received revelation of God's prophetic will through his dreams. Unlike now, in the Old Testament era, this was a common thing for God to do. It it was, uh, for example, uh, with his dad Jacob on his way to live with Laban. You might remember he was fleeing from Esau, and he, and he camped out one night and had a really famous dream. It was uh, a ladder stood on the earth with its top reaching clear up into heaven. Angels of God were ascending and descending on that ladder. And among many other really good things, God told Jacob, he said, Your seed will be like the dust of the earth. You will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you... In your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Even families in in Idaho, by the way. And this is the same vision that God gave Abraham, now re-emphasized to Jacob, Abraham's grandson, which which he would in turn pass down to his sons as well, and specifically to Joseph today in our passage. Joseph would have this same understanding and walk out his life based on this same revelation. You couldn't go to sowers on Appleway in those days and pick up a full revelation of God in a leather-bound Bible in those days. In fact, the full revelation of God hadn't even been manifested at that point. So at times, in the Old Testament era, God used imagery in dreams like this, and, and visions to communicate his prophetic will or what he was going to do. The, the prophets of the Old Covenant were famous for receiving revelation this way. 
through dreams and visions. Isaiah is full of imagery of visions that he received from God. So is Jeremiah, and so is Ezekiel, and Daniel did too. God even used secular leaders' dreams to um, show them what he was going to bring about in their lives. Even at the end of the Mosaic Covenant, the Apostle John even received imagery and a vision of the revelation of Jesus Christ, showing the judgment of the harlot and the establishment of the faithful bride under the new covenant based on Jesus' own blood. Interestingly, Amos 3.7 says, Surely Lord Yahweh does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his slaves, the prophets. And in most cases, his slaves, the prophets, were hated, and they were rejected, and the word of God was trampled on because the hearers didn't want to hear it. And we can see uh, an example of that even in the end of of verse 5 here. Joseph told his dream to his brothers, so they hated him even more. Glancing ahead to Stephen, and in Acts chapter 7, he asked the Jews, the leaders of Israel, he, he said, which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, and whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. In their response to Joseph, Joseph's brothers were in that line of people who murdered God's messengers. Jesus himself, as he was bringing the old covenant to a final close, after he announced woe after woe against the harlot of the Old Testament, he told her, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together, the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you did not want it. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate." Jesus was bringing a new Jerusalem now, a faithful one, born of the Spirit, the city of righteousness, a a Jerusalem for rejoicing. And just to answer the question you might have in your mind about whether God still uses imagery like he did with Joseph, given in new visions and in prophecy today, uh, listen to Daniel. Gabriel brought revelation to Daniel in Daniel 9. He said, Seventy weeks have been determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the holy of holies. And of course, as we know, Christ did make atonement for iniquity, And he did bring in everlasting righteousness, imputed imputed to each of us who believes. And he did certainly anoint the Holy of Holies, the dwelling place of God, his church, the, the temple of the living God. And with the full revelation of God given and proclaimed by the apostles, authenticated through signs and wonders, he did seal up vision and prophecy. And and that's why you can now go to sowers. And, and by a complete copy of the all-sufficient final word of God. And you can have confidence that, that someone who gives you a fresh word from the Lord isn't giving you his word unless it's coming right out of his book, the Bible. Dreams and visions are not God's way of communicating his will now. We have the more sure word of God in our Bible. Let's remember that today.
Let's go back to our text, verses 6 and 7. And, and Joseph said to his brothers, Please listen to this dream which I have had. Indeed, behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf rose up and, and also stood upright. And, and behold, your sheaves gathered round and, and bowed down to my sheaf. Please listen, Joseph told his brothers. Please. Joseph knew that this was from God. He, he knew that this dream wasn't about him necessarily for his own exaltation. This was about God blessing the world, specifically Israel's family, using Joseph as an instrument in his hands. This dream was, it was good for Jacob. It was good for his wives. It was good for all his sons, Joseph's brothers. In fact, for, for those of you who've, who've read your Bibles, it would be good for the whole world in a sense, certainly beginning in Egypt. This was God's blessing, this dream, to Joseph's brothers, even though they hated it. The, the revelation of God in Joseph's dream was that, was that these sheaves, these bundles of wheat, I think we have an image of what that looks like, of a bundle of wheat like a sheaf, They were being bound up during the harvest, and Joseph's sheaf rose up. His sheaf stood upright. And the brothers' sheaves, they gathered around Joseph's sheaf, and they bowed down to his sheaf. So just for a second, let's pretend that we don't know the rest of the story, because we're not people who read our Bibles, although we are. What, what would we know based on the revelation that God gave Joseph at this point? What would we see here? One thing we would know is that sheaves represent food, right? Specifically bread in their culture. And, and in the revelation, the brother's bread, the brother's food was, was humbled. It was bowing down before Joseph's food. His food rose up and stood upright. And was, it was exalted over theirs. And so in verse 8, his brothers, not really deep thinkers, who go right for the thing that's been bothering them all along. Ever since their father Jacob gave him that, that position of authority along with that uniform that he was wearing, they said, are you really going to reign over us? Are you really going to rule over us, Joseph? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And just like you and I do at times with the word of God, Joseph's brothers responded to the revelation of God that was given Joseph in a dream. They responded with thick lenses on and with sinful hearts, presuppositions. Along with the tunic that he wore and the responsibilities given to to Joseph by Jacob, all they could get out of his vision that he shared with them was that Joseph was a narcissist. They had a presupposition in their minds that informed the way that they interpreted that revelation that God had given Joseph for their benefit. And instead of thinking through all this and wondering why this responsible and wise young man would would be making up a self-aggrandizing story like this and maybe thinking a bit deeper about what it could mean, instead of that, the text says that they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. He was was 
he and his, and his prophetic word from God were disgusting to them. They didn't want it. Guys, we, we need to notice something here about interpreting Scripture. It's just a low-hanging fruit here. We, we need to be careful when we come to the Word of God or the revelation of God we, could, because we have a handicap. We can't really see straight, so we need help when we interpret Scripture. And so, and so to minimize that handicap that we have, or the interpretation of Scripture has to be by using Scripture itself just to get us out of the way. Scripture must be used to interpret Scripture, not our own personal opinions, and, or, or we're going to impress our own reasoning into the process, and, and we'll make what, what uh, the uh, logical thing that to us will impress that and become inaccurate in our understanding of God's Word. And to make matters worse, like Joseph's brothers, even our sin at times gets in the, the way and, and our understanding is really skewed when we read the word and we end up hurting people with the word instead of helping them. Look at the way Joseph's brothers are interpreting the word and look at the way that it's sent to them. Like we've already discussed, Joseph was a young man, even, who, even in the face of hardship, like the hatred of, of his own family members, Joseph, <clears throat> excuse me, he, he maintained emotional self-control. He knew the promise given to his great-grandfather Abraham and, and the character of his great God, the revelation of his will. So he maintained control over his spirit as he ministered the word. Unlike his brothers who couldn't see the forest for the trees, Joseph persevered. Joseph walked by faith in his God, even though it was painful. Just out of curiosity here, what, what would you have done if you were Joseph here? Your brothers hate every word that you're saying to them. They hate you. I know it would be tempting or I'd be tempted to fly off the handle and yell at them and, and get the whole family together and just scream out all their injustices and accuse them all of disrespecting the things I do for them. And say something along the lines of, don't you people care that I go through hardships for you? Has that ever been a conversation in your house? Maybe. Not Joseph. Joseph was in this for God's glory. And, and, and the good of those he loves. Joseph wasn't reviling in return. He wasn't returning evil for evil. Joseph was exhibiting qualities like our Lord Jesus. Like in Hebrews 12, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Also in Isaiah 53, just like our brother Drew just read earlier in our communion time, Jesus was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. So he did not open his mouth. Jesus didn't defend himself. He just did the will of his father. Joseph didn't defend himself. He just continued to share the revelation of God for his family's benefit, for, for love's sake, for rescue's sake. Because his father asked him to. What's your father asked you to do? 
destroy your family with a heavy hand or disregard the word of God? Lenses so thick you can't see through them? Joseph continued in verses 9 and 10. The text says that he had still another dream and recounted it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have had still another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. And he recounted it to his father and to his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers really come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground? Joseph? Again, not stoic or in his own strength, but by faith. In obedience to the prophetic word, standing on the promise, Joseph reveals another painful revelation of God's word. This time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to him. He was faithful to recount it to his father and his brothers even when it was hard. He knew it was for their good. Jacob, his dad, the one who had his own dream, rebuked him. In his rebuke, he knew that Joseph's dream of the sun and the moon and the stars weren't about just the sun and the moon and the stars. There's something else going on here. And Jacob and his wife, probably Leah, and all 11 other of the future tribes of Israel, brothers, Joseph would be exalted above his family in some fashion in the future. They would bow down to him for some reason. In accordance with God's revelation and plan, which would undoubtedly be faithful to his promise to Abraham. By the way, this theme of the sun, moon, and stars is all over the Bible. and, And using this scripture as a beginning point should help you right here. Just learn to interpret and understand other scriptures. It would be an eye-opener for you as it has been with me as you study this theme. It's, It's a whole other study in itself, and it's beautiful. Back to our text, verse 11. Just after Joseph shared his second dream and following his dad's rebuke, the text says that his brothers were jealous of him. But his his father kept the saying in mind, the text says. It's like he marveled at it. His brothers were jealous of him. And in Proverbs 27, 4, the text, or uh, the, the Proverbs say that anger is cruel and wrath is like a flood. But jealousy is even more dangerous. His brothers were jealous of him. In scripture we can see both godly jealousy and we can see ungodly jealousy. And ungodly jealousy is the work of the flesh. It's an obsessive, evil, sinful, covetous response to what you believe someone else either has or is. Ungodly jealousy is just the opposite of love. Scripture calls for ungodly jealousy to be put to death in our lives. Godly jealousy, on the other hand, in Scripture most often has to do with fidelity to our great God and his perfect will. Whether it be God's own jealousy toward the fidelity of his people or or whether it be our godly jealousy toward others in their fidelity to God and his kingdom. Godly jealousy has control over its spirit. So to speak, godly jealousy endures. 
Fleshly jealousy is like a rampant, explosive fire. And Joseph's brothers were jealous of him. But his dad kept the saying in mind, it says. Jacob responded different than Joseph's brothers. Even though he rebuked his son for sharing the revelation, he exercised control over his spirit and kept meditating on what Joseph was was talking about from his dream, kind of pondering it. He wasn't jealous. He was thinking it through. These things are good for us to think about in our lives. And as well, these characteristics of fleshly jealousy versus godly jealousy, they can really help us understand the truth of our response to other people. So we can be useful to the Lord in his work of ministry. And I just wonder today, have you ever experienced ungodly jealousy? Anybody? I know I have. How did that work out? In your heart. Back to our text, we're going to notice today that fleshly jealousy moves its feet in a destructive direction. Look at verses 12 and 13. When his brothers went to pasture, excuse me, it says, Then his brothers went to pasture their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send you to them. And he said to him, I will go. The boys headed for Shechem. They had experience there. Shechem is a place of choice and where the brothers chose to take past matters into their own hands. Remember from Genesis 34, remember Jacob's daughter Dinah was kind of hanging out with the Canaanite girls and the Canaanite leader's son named Shechem saw her and he took her and he raped her. And then as crazy as it sounds, the text says that... uh, This kid wanted Dinah to be his own possession. He lusted over her and he sent his dad to get her from Jacob to to become his wife. His brothers heard about this and they were really rightly scandalized. They were rightly enraged deeply with what Shechem had done to their sister. And and so they worked out a scheme to get revenge, to make Shechem pay for his evil and also to rescue their sister from his house. You remember the brothers, they tricked the men at Shechem into getting circumcised. And then when they were all hurting, they killed every one of them while, while they were reeling in pain. We know that later in scripture, God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. I'm God. You don't need to be God. In scripture, Shechem would easily stand as a study in and of itself. Certainly it's a place of conflict, but it's also a place of choice. The choice under the coming Mosaic covenant where a nation would receive blessings for obedience and curses And death for disobedience or disregarding the revealed will of God. You can see more of that in Deuteronomy 27. So these brothers, they headed for Shechem. What choice would they make there? And of course, here's Joseph with the heart set on the enduring hope of God's promise and his rescuing will shown to Joseph through his dreams, dreams that Joseph faithfully, out of love, explained to the family 
Here he is, submitting his life to the obedience of his father, a young man who exercises control over his spirit, even in the face of the hatred of his brothers. He didn't talk back to his dad and said, Dad, they hate my guts. What do I care about those guys? Or, I hate them because they don't believe how important I am. He didn't say anything like that, nothing like that. Joseph simply said, I will go. And then he put one step step of enduring hope in front of another and headed for Shechem. Hope endures. Hope based on the revelation of God takes steps of endurance. I want to just stop here for a second and think about how you and I might be able to learn from Joseph this morning. How does your life today, how does your personal uh, walk in life reflect enduring hope in your serving God? What opportunities for obedience have, have you followed because of what he's revealed to you from his word? Is it just fascinating only to you? Or has it moved your feet? When you bring your light to others, you, can you exercise control over your spirit? Or, or, or do you let your emotions of anger and fear steer your witness? What does your extended family say? Maybe in your marriage, can you respond exercising enduring control, knowing that the ministry of the word brings sanctification in the life of your spouse? You can't change them. God can change them. Or, or for your kids, that training them up in right ways of, of designs of God's kingdom, that, that patient and enduring investment right now will be the best deposit that you can make toward God's glory in their lives later. Joseph's skin in the game was his obedience to the will of his father. That's what he owned. That's it. While his brothers were plotting their own revenge and their sinful jealousy, Joseph wasn't plotting anything. And in fact, what he was doing, he, he, he wasn't even thinking in the realm of himself producing anything. God just needed someone to obey him. Joseph could just move his feet by faith and trust that God would work out his will. On a more personal note, this is a hard lesson for some of us, like me. Some of you know I spent 25 years of my life as a civil engineer, mostly in traffic and transportation, and engineers are professional problem solvers. That's what you get paid for. You're you're given a problem, you research and you calculate and you develop construction plans and studies to address the problem. Your, Your efforts produce a result. One of the things I've learned in ministry, and I'm still learning, is I minister the word to people who are struggling and people who are confused and people that are suffering, that the results don't belong to me. I learned this from Joseph. Just like the results at Shechem didn't belong to Joseph's brothers in their avenging Dinah, and now their concerns that Joseph was somehow being exalted now and that he was placed in a position of authority that didn't belong to them either, what I'm, what I'm learning here, guys, is that my efforts to produce 
or excuse me, my efforts, they, they need to be focused on me being like Joseph, obedient in the things that I can control. Obedient to minister the word, but not pretend to be God by manipulating the results, and, or even disappointed in myself that the results weren't produced. Maybe some of you have similar thinking processes. In fact, I have to keep reminding myself that success in ministry is actually in my obedience to minister the word, not necessarily in the problem being solved. I don't own the outcome. You don't either own the outcome. God simply needs people willing to obey. He owns it. I leave the sanctification of my spouse with my God. As I grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, I I leave the change in other people to be between them and their great God. I wonder if that's a, a perspective that could be helpful in your home today. I know it's been increasingly helpful to me. And when I exercise that perspective, I I also seem to kind of live my life at peace. There's rest there. Joseph appeared to live at peace in his heart as well, didn't he? You can see it right here in Genesis 37. Paul later in Romans, he says, uh, the, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Let's strive together for that peace in our fellowship here. Amen? Back to our text, verse 14. Jacob reemphasized to his son. He says, Go now and see about the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flock and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem. By the way, some have estimated Shechem to be about 50 miles away from Hebron. Jacob wanted Joseph to go on a 100-mile walk. Think about that. Jacob sent his son on a 100-mile round trip just to see how his sons were doing. The sons that hated Joseph. He wanted to see how his flock was faring. And, And then he wanted the report back... Uh, to himself about what was happening. A a hundred mile round trip, walking. Maybe on a good day, three miles over, an hour over terrain, that's 33 hours of getting your steps in. You know, you'd have to charge your Fitbit, you'd have to take solar with you. It could could be two or three 15 hour days by faith if you didn't stay too long with the brothers. Guys, hope endures. Even on a hundred mile hike, right toward the hatred of your relatives. My goodness, this could apply to my life. Back to our text as Joseph heads out, verses 15 and 16. It says, And a man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field, and the man asked him, What are you seeking? And he said, I'm seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are pasturing the flock. Joseph gets the first part of his journey completed. He ends up at Shechem. He can't find his brothers. 
who's wandering all over the place looking for them, but they're gone, and he's really trying to be faithful to his duties. Christians, we have duties. At this point, someone being mistreated like this might have headed back home and just said, hey, I couldn't find them. They're gone. They weren't where they said they would be. They're unfaithful, Dad. But he runs into a really helpful guy. As Joseph obeys the Lord, the Lord brings along help for him to carry out his will. What a... An amazing, gracious God. Listen, guys, without this guy, this insignificant person that's, that's asking Joseph who he's looking for, Joseph likely wouldn't have the slightest idea where his brothers went. Who would know what direction to go? But so that Joseph could be found by his brothers, be thrown into a pit and have his death faked, and be sold into slavery, and eventually thrown into prison, and become a dream interpreter, because he got some experience with dreams, and and then be exalted to lead a nation, and provide food for everyone, even his brothers who hate him, and find himself having to come and bow down before him, so that they can receive bread in order to live, the bread of life, so to speak. This guy in the field is ordained by God to send Joseph to Dothan. I wonder, what would a conversation with that guy be like now? I can imagine a conversation where he doesn't have the slightest idea that he's ever actually even been used by the Lord. But in a sense, the Lord used him unknowingly to rescue multiple nations from famine and to redeem a nation from slavery and to preserve the line of the Messiah who could save him from his sins. My goodness, the next time we think that our existence is meaningless, let's just do the next thing God says in his word. According to the counsel of his will. We can see right here that of course the Lord owns the results. We just show up. We point people in the right direction. We minister the word. God makes things happen. The results belong to the Lord. We know that. Back to our final verse, verse 17. Then the man said, they have journeyed from here, for I heard them saying, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Another 15 or 20 miles of faithful service, enduring hope by a a young man able because of the willingness that he had to obey his great God, able to, to be used as hands and feet of the sovereign one whose throne is in heaven and earth is his footstool, hope endures. By, before we close this morning, I want to, I mentioned Hebrews earlier. Hebrews 12.3 encourages by looking to Jesus. It says to consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary, fainting in heart. You and I today are in a a race that requires enduring hope. Have you watched the news? 
And without the right perspective in our ministry, our ministry to this community and to our families and to ourselves, like Joseph is being tempted to do in the face of increasing obstacles, we could grow weary too. We could grow into fainting in our hearts as well. A couple of verses later in Hebrews 12, 7 and 11, it says, It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And then afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. You're in my jobs this morning are to make straight paths for our feet. To, to pursue peace with all men and pursue sanctification. Focusing on these things will help us live lives that are marked by enduring hope, all to the glory of our great God today. I want to close this morning by recognizing that the heart of Joseph, as he pursued that well-being of his hateful brothers, and, and, and certainly the rest of his family, is a reflection of the heart. In fact, a reflection of the image being manifest through a faithful life for the whole world to see. A reflection in Joseph of the image of his great God. The Apostle Paul even says, he says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Guys, I hope you can see in Joseph uh, the image of the even greater Joseph. The real rescuer. The source of true living bread who gave himself up for us on a cross Swallowing death so that we could have life? Today I hope each of us can see a bit of Joseph's brothers, maybe even in ourselves. Would you have the courage to say that? And see as well from his word this morning, maybe that judgment against our sinfulness is a looming, unbearable uh, cloud of God's wrath and death or eternal damnation would even be worse. And, and then see the kindness of Jesus in his obedience to his Father's will as he satisfied the wrath of God for every one of us who believes. This Jesus, the greater Joseph, he commands all men everywhere, including you in this room this morning, to repent and believe his gospel. This Jesus, he, he lived a life you and I can't live. He died a death that you and I can't survive. And he was victorious over the grave so that you and I can live even if we die. Praise the Lord for him. I pray, if you haven't, that you run urgently to him and repentance, and trust him, and receive him, and be saved by his life, so that you as well can live with hope that endures. All right, let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for your word, and we thank you for this wonderful life of a, of a truster in God, who even in the face of pain endured. Thank you that uh, he didn't do it in a stoic fashion, 
But he did it trusting in the promise. And he did it for the good of those around him. Thank you, ultimately, for the greater Joseph Jesus, who Joseph pointed to. In Jesus' name, amen.